Well, I moved to Cincinnati in my early 20s, and I had two dreams in my heart when I moved here. I was going to marry the man of my dreams, and I was going to make it big in the radio broadcasting industry. Two dreams, front of mine. But did I mention I moved here May 2008? Kind of in the height of like the Great Recession that was happening, a time period where jobs were in decline and they were kind of hard to come by amongst other things. I remember every position that was posted on Career Builder and any follow-up call I would get was met with a well, we're kind of in a hiring freeze right now, but, you know, try again later, okay? Click. But I kept pushing. I kept striving. I kept calling one station after another, after another, until one fateful day there was an opening for a part-time front desk assistant position at a local radio conglomerate here in Cincinnati. And I knew that was my foot in the door. Now, again, it was the Great Recession, and everybody in the company were doing their part to, to keep the company afloat, and it was um, communicated to me that this front desk part-time position, while it wasn't my ideal position in radio, it, it was um, promised to me that her, uh, growth would be on the horizon. So about eight months in, my hours and opportunities increased. With varieties of opportunities within the company, I would work on weekends at promotional events that expanded my knowledge of the industry as well as my network of individuals within the company and across other places in the broadcasting world. All the while, I was still part-time. I worked as a barista on my off days, and I was planning a wedding with Brian. Life wasn't quite what I pictured for myself after I graduated. And at the time, Facebook was really kind of the only major social media. And I remember scrolling it and seeing fellow grads excelling in their career pursuits or entrepreneurial pursuits. And I was yearning for what they have. What was I missing? Why was my career not taking off like theirs? And then one day, I got a call in the midst of my workday from my fiance. He never called me during the workday, only if it was important, so I answered. And he informed me that his boss just had a meeting with him and gave him three months before his position would no longer be available at the company. And I did the math, and that meant two months after we got married, we would be living off of my two part-time job income. What a way to start off a marriage, am I right? <laughs> no pressure. But one week later, the lead promotions director at a radio station was let go for reasons I still don't know, but her position became available. And I was like, oh man, this is it. This is God's provision, my divine appointment to step in. I knew this was my moment, the opportunity I was waiting for. It was literally weeks away from our upcoming wedding when this happened, and I just felt like God saw our need and he provided this opportunity for financial stability. So I immediately got to work on my resume, I met with my boss in the company, and I got her blessing and a recommendation for the position. And man, 
I secured an interview with our program director, and it felt like a conversation between two friends as opposed to the cold call interviews I'd been a part of. Man, I had it in the bag, and I just felt like everything was in alignment. I could just picture myself trading in that front desk for a desk in the back with my nameplate on it, no longer having to arrive 30 minutes before everybody else so I can greet them as they came in the door and no longer needing to juggle those phone calls, which admittedly is my least favorite part of the job. <laughs> I wanted to tell every potential candidate that came through the door to not even bother. I'm sorry, you poor sap, I know this is part of the interview process. They gotta give everybody equal opportunity. And then one day, I received a phone call to come meet the head program director in the back, and I said, this is it. This is it, this is, this is my moment, I can't wait. And I walked back there and my boss was also sitting there in the back and I'm like, oh man, this is awesome. It's like a passing of the baton. My heart was racing, the day had finally come and they sat me down and they said, Jane, we've decided to hire somebody else for the job. We, you were a close second but this other person had more experience. I hope you can understand. I was stunned. I was unsure of what to say. Of course I was polite. I didn't want to burn any bridges, but deep down I was angry. I was frustrated after all I did for the company. And because of all my hard work, this is how they show their appreciation. Everything I did just didn't seem to matter anymore, and it landed me right back at the front desk. And if I'm being truly honest here, I was mad at God. I'm not sure if he really understood how much Brian and I really could use some financial stability in this job. I mean, didn't he realize the perfect timing of it all? Once again, my dream was paused, and I was forced to wait for the next opportunity. But we've all been there, right? Waiting on a dream, waiting for healing, waiting for a spouse, waiting to finally hear some good news, waiting only to be met with silence. Well, welcome to White Oak. My name is Jane Dorman, and I serve here at the teaching team. And we are in week four of our Growing Up series where we're discovering what spiritual maturity looks like as it develops. We are focusing this series in the book of Galatians, chapter five, on this verse. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And this list is the evidence of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives. It means that once we step into relationship with Jesus and we walk the path alongside him towards this full life that we're promised, we are actively being transformed through the process of salvation. Now processes, they are good. Process, processes gives us structure, it gets us a gauge that we can use to measure whether or not we're being efficient or, or something's effective. And another thing about processes, 
is they take time. Sometimes longer than we want or expect, and that's where today's fruit, patience, comes into play. Because you see, when we look at this list of the fruits of the Spirit here, as a whole, we need to realize that it takes time to develop these through Jesus' process. Therefore, patience is a key component to our spiritual walk and our spiritual maturity. It takes time because Paul warns us earlier in the text that our flesh and the Holy Spirit are at a battle within us. We are at war. Our fleshly desires are ingrained in us from birth. And we need to allow the Holy Spirit space to supernaturally transform us and our hearts. Now, in this story that I shared with you, I mean, on paper, I did all the right things. I had all the right connections. I followed through in all the right ways, and I still didn't get the job. I was confused. I was angry. I was anxious because this was supposed to be the answer to our problem. It was the answer to the provision my new husband and I were waiting for. And we wanted to move forward with financial security, and those aren't wrong things to want. How could I not get the job? I just kept focusing on that. And you see, the lesson here is waiting on the Lord. It's not about the accomplishment. It's about who you're becoming in the process. Waiting, it's not passive. It is an active process of deeper trust in the one who is calling you forward in faith. So today my question for you is this. Do you want to go deeper with Jesus? Are you ready to draw closer to the heart of God? Because today our big idea is this, is that patience reveals our faith in God's sovereignty. Earlier this year, we talked about the sovereignty of God. If you missed it or weren't able to join us, I encourage you to go back into our archives. You can find that on our YouTube channel. And we had a series called Vantage Point. It's what we kicked the year off with. And we talked all about sovereignty. And we defined sovereignty as having complete power, control, and authority, and not to be controlled by outside influence. Therefore, we defined God's sovereignty, claiming that he is all-powerful, that he is in control, that he has full supremacy over everything, and nothing can change that. And if you're sitting here this morning or listening to us online, and you're just reading that definition or hearing it for the first time, and you're wondering, like, yeah, but what about, I'm going to stop you right there and remind you about your vantage point. Because you see, we as humans, we're created beings. We can only see one part of the picture. Some people will call that our life experience, and you're only living one of them. In this world, there are over seven billion, with a B, life experiences being lived. And let me tell you how big my God is. My God is sovereign, and that means he can see the whole picture. 
of our human experiences being lived out. And he is the only one who can see that picture and also see how our stories intertwine with one another. And the invitation I want you to consider as you look at your picture and realize God's picture, are you willing to trust God with yours? I really want you to think about this because this is what I think our problem is today is that we want control. It's my life. I want to call the shots. That's where our sinful nature comes into play. This list in Galatians 5, starting in verse 19 that we keep coming back to, are lists of things of the flesh. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, Jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And you see, when I look at this list, do you know what I see? I see our broken human nature clawing for control. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality tells me that I can call the shots on who I can choose to love and how I want to physically show it. I'm in control. Idolatry, that tells me that I can love and choose to focus my attention on what I want, get it when I want, with what I want, when I want. I'm in control. Sorcery tells me that I can choose from whom I get my power. I'm in control. Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of angers, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy. That tells me that I have the right to my opinion and the right to tell you you're wrong. I'm in control. Drunkenness, orgies, and the likes of these tells me I can choose to numb my pain in any way I choose because I get to choose what I feel. I'm in control. And you see, the fruit of patience pushes against that desire because patience reveals our faith in God's sovereignty. So what happens when we realize that we aren't in control? What is Jesus trying to teach us here? Because when we push forward in our own strength and strife and trying to get life back on track, we will witness edges of the flesh peeking out and they're trying to climb out and they are trying to choke the fruit of patience out of us. And when that happens, the other fruits of the Spirit begin to wither because patience is the process that slows us down and teaches us to trust more fully in the one we are waiting on. Recently, I was, in an, as a, I was recently at an event um, with a bunch of women and the speaker asked us a question to reflect on and it kind of shook me to my core and I wanted to present this to you today. But first, I want you to consider what it is like to be in the presence of God. I mean, if you want for a moment just to sit and think about it, you can close your eyes and think, man, when I encounter God's presence, what does it feel like? I mean, it feels good, doesn't it? And peaceful 
and, and sometimes you just can't explain the feeling, but you know it is good and you feel loved and seen and known. And then the speaker asked us, now I want you to consider the answer to this question, which I'm going to ask you this morning. How does Jesus feel when he encounters your presence? That hits different, doesn't it? What's it like to encounter your presence when you're striving, when you're angry, when you're anxious, jealous, hot-tempered? It's sobering to contemplate. And I need to tell you that this exercise in this room, it is not to shame anyone. We are all broken in different ways. And that is why I thank Jesus every single day for his mercy and his grace. Because the truth of the matter is this, is that Jesus is patient with us first. So when we get annoyed, we get frustrated with our life circumstances, our suffering, or God's timeline, why not take a moment and pause and ask yourself, what is Jesus teaching me in this process? In 1 Timothy Chapter 1, verse 16, it says, But for that very reason I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. This is humbling. And I believe that the fruit of patience has the power to transform our hearts because it is in those moments of life when we wait on the Lord that Jesus is offering a gift of transformation. Patience is the process that reminds us that spiritual maturity takes time. So what does patience look like in our life? What is the evidence that patience is, is, is growing or being processed in our lives? And I want to offer up four ways for you to consider how patience reveals itself in our lives. So number one, patience overcomes the right to get upset in the face of irritations and trials. We established this earlier, but I think it's worth stating again. God sees a whole different picture than we do. Our vantage point is limited. It says in James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produ produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. I mean, trials are going to come our way. James makes that pretty clear, and so does Jesus in his teachings in the gospel. The way I see it is that when trials appear in our lives, we have a choice. We can allow ourselves to fixate on the irritation or the trial that we're experiencing and how it's inconveniencing us or hurting us or, or whatever the negative emotion you have to the right to be feeling in the moment. Yet the alternative is, to take the focus off the irritation and focus our attention on what it is Jesus is trying to teach us. Jesus wants to develop a deeper faithfulness in you. 
What if the trial is the catalyst for developing a deeper trust? So instead of complaining our way through the trial, consider what it would look like to embody the fruit of patience as Jesus carefully uproots what doesn't belong in your heart and transforms your thought process. Number two, patience is required when our personal rights are violated by another person or a circumstance outside our control. I think we know a little something about this. Jesus cares about how we relate to one another. It is so very easy for us to get caught up into our personal narratives and our ideas and our opinions, and when we get wrapped up in our egocentric lives, we're only focused on our own thoughts, our own ideas, our own opinions, you name it. God forbid we run into someone who thinks differently than us and pushes up against what we know to be true. Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 and 25 says, Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me and my sake will find it. Let me tell you, when we choose to follow Jesus, that's a daily death to ourselves. Our perspective is no longer that of my way or the highway. We are experiencing a process of salvation that is daily where we allow the Holy Spirit to develop in us these fruits that we see here on the stage. It takes intention on our part to realize that this life is just not about me and what I want. It is about Jesus and what he is doing in the world and how we can be a part of that. Patience gives us the space to cultivate compassion and empathy towards others. Number three, patience is more than a passive waiting or a gentle tolerance, but rather persevering endurance, expecting a promise of God's presence in all things to be fulfilled. There's this dangerous assumption that patience or waiting on the Lord as it's expressed throughout the Bible is a stagnant season where we're just sitting and waiting. Waiting on the Lord does not mean we just sit around and wait for God to move. No, it's the opposite of that. It's a season of endurance. I believe that when we follow Jesus, he plants these little seeds of dreams in our hearts, and that manifests itself through dreams or passions or talents or gifts that he has given us to accomplish this. But again, the point of a dream here is not the accomplishment. It is about the process of who you are becoming within the process. Exercising patience in this process is our opportunity to pause and seek the Lord and what he is doing in our lives and how that could affect the world around us. Our level of reception of these fruits is simply dependent on our perception of this spiritual power. In whom or what are you placing your hope in this morning? 
Is it in the answer or the outcome? Or is it in the power and the glory of God in this season of waiting? Number four, patience is trusting that God, or trusting God that he will carry us along and provide a way forward. This is a big one. We need to learn to give God time to work. And I know we love to tote this, well, my God's big enough, he can do anything he wants in an instant. Guess what? God doesn't always work that way because he is too gentle, too kind, and too good to do that. Patience reveals our faith in God's sovereignty. And I love how the author Andrew Murray puts this frame of thought. It it really stopped me in my tracks when I read it in his book, With Christ in the School of Prayer. He says, let us learn to give God time. God needs time with us. If we can only give him time, that is time in the daily fellowship with himself, for him to exercise the full influence of his presence on us, and time day by day in the course of our being kept waiting for faith to prove its reality and to fill our whole being. He himself will lead us from faith to vision. We shall see the glory of God. Let no delay shake our faith. And let's just admit to ourselves that our culture of instant has created an expectation within us that's just unrealistic. Earlier this year, I walked through a season of waiting. God put this dream in my heart and and this project, and we put it on paper, and it was, oh, it was so good, and I couldn't wait to exercise it and get it going. And it was crickets for months. And I was frustrated once again. And you know what? In those moments when I sought God and was kind of like, well, what, what the heck? What's going on here? This is what God said to me in my heart that day. He said, will you just rest in me? I will provide a way. Rest in me. I think it would benefit us to remember that our relationship with God is a partnership. God wants to walk with us. He wants to cultivate and awaken our hearts. He wants to renew our minds and be with us every step of the way. It says in Matthew 11, 29, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. This yoke he's talking about in this verse, it was a heavy wooden harness that would fit over the shoulders of an ox or oxen, all right? They shared the load. It's attached to a piece of equipment that the oxen are to pull. And this yoke can represent something, a heavy burden that someone could carry like sin or excessive demands of religious leaders or oppression and persecution or weariness in the search for God. Jesus frees people from all these burdens. The rest that Jesus promises is love, healing, peace with God, not the end of all labor. In fact, this relationship with God changes meaningless, wearisome toil into spiritual productivity and in purpose. 
Jesus invites us to live from this place of rest so that we can partner with him in the work that he's doing in the world. And this spiritual rest is one that renews and restores us when our souls are threatened by the anxiety and the fear of uncertainty that we experience on a daily basis. And when we live out our days in rest, we're making a declaration of dependence that trusts in the supernatural breakthrough that can only be done through Jesus' holy power. A power that frees us from the bondage of sin and oppression and heals us from the inside out. Jesus teaches us that patience is not passive. It's an active process of deepening your faith and connection to the heart of God by being still in his holy presence. Listening to him and obeying what he says. So in all consideration, I have some next steps for you to consider is what a next step could look like in your journey with patience today as we develop these fruits of the Spirit. Number one, it's time to make time for God. If this is your most important relationship, then we kind of need to start acting like it. Let's start turning to God, not to Google. By being, uh, by in your season of waiting, ask him what the next right move is. Number two, develop the spiritual disciplines of silence and solitude in your prayer life. I mean, just practice sitting in silence before God. Listen to what he says. If you have this nagging problem or irritation happening in your life that you just can't seem to fix on your own or you're wrestling with, ask God to show you what he's teaching you. And for perseverance to endure this with supernatural patience. And finally, I want to encourage you to track how God is moving in your life. I have a journal that I keep, and I just track different milestones that happen throughout the year, each year because I want to see how God's moving in my life, because I often forget if I don't keep track. Patience reveals our faith in the sovereignty of God. May we continue to become followers wholly devoted to him and his love so that kingdom impact can continue to keep moving forward. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, oh, thank you for your patience with us. God, we know you see us even if we feel forgotten. We know you love us when we feel unworthy of love. And we are thankful that you want to sit with us and be with us in whatever season of waiting we are in today. Humble our hearts, Father. Teach us to give you time to work and to make space for you to work in our lives and the world around us. May we make great impact for your glory in this world each and every day. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.